We proceed with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? In our day, we are conscious of a lack of truth on every hand. There is among nations the absence of truthful consistency and dependency. We see in our fellow men a lack of truthfulness so often, and we find in our own selves a tendency to be untruthful when we can gain thereby to our own personal advantage. But as we come to the Bible, we find there the absolute source of all truth. And isn't it wonderful that we have this rock of truth, the Word of God? And isn't it wonderful that it describes to us a God of all truthfulness that we can repose our whole lives upon? We have seen in our consideration of the nature of God that there are such things as we have called natural attributes, or there are characteristics of the great God which are essential parts of his wonderful and glorious being. Then there are moral attributes or moral character. We have seen that the essence of moral character is the choice of love or benevolence as an end of existence. And thus God has perpetually made choice to be governed by perfect love in all his actions and in all his conduct. Thus we say that the essence of moral character is the essence of love. And the Bible declares that God is love. Because God is love, the Bible ascribes holiness to God. Or God is in such a state of being that all should admire his great and glorious personality, and none can find anything wrong with his inner character. We have also seen that righteousness is an attribute of the moral character of love, that all of God's actions are subject to scrutiny, and none can find anything wrong with all his dealings with men, that God has perpetually manifested his inner righteousness toward all. We have also reposed in the wonderful declaration that loving kindness and mercy are attributes of the moral character of God, that when we have been conscious of sin, a way of salvation through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God for the sins of the whole world, has been made possible. We have also seen that God has exercised his great intelligence and his profound moral character in great wisdoms of creations, not only in the establishment of this whole system that we are slightly aware of, I say slightly, because when we think of the extensiveness of God's wonderful creation, we certainly know, as the apostle said, only in part. But here are the manifestations of the wisdom of God. Now to crown all these wonderful features, we have been considering the truthfulness of God. And we observe that truthfulness must be an attribute of love. For if God is true and perfect love, then certainly all his actions and all his manifestations will be in truth, and none can find anything wrong with all his assertions. Thus the Bible declares the truthfulness of God. And there we read in Exodus chapter 34, 6, where God himself spoke to Moses. 
the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. So God declares himself to be abundant in truth. Then we also saw that the Bible affirms that God is the source of all truth, or that his great being and its manifestations are the declaration of truth. And so our Lord Jesus said when he was upon the earth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then we have seen that all of God's dealings with man have been in truth, that none shall be able to find any assertions on the part of the great Godhead that are open to suspicion. Then to crown the manifestations of God, God has given to us the profound revelation of truth in the Bible, the Word of God. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, said Peter. And thus the Bible is the incorporation of God's truth. And we were in process of reading a number of scriptures as to how these servants of God respected and regarded the truth of God, the Bible, as the Word of God. We come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, and there we notice that the Apostle Paul was fully persuaded that his message that he delivered on every hand was the Word of God. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So the apostle affirmed that the word that he delivered was in truth the word of God. And certainly this applies also to his numerous writings. In 2 Thessalonians 2.10, we have revealed the important fact that if folk are going to be saved and be reconciled to God, they must receive the love of the truth. This is most vital and most essential because the individual who is not reconciled to God through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ is not walking in truth. He is not acknowledging his true state either to himself or to others. And thus the scripture portrays him as holding down the truth, and this in a state of unrighteousness or selfishness. So if there's going to be a reconciliation to God, there naturally must be an assumption of a life of truth or a repentance from all falsehood. The apostle is speaking of the end time when there shall be much deception and said, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So if men are going to be reconciled to God, they not only have to submit to the truth, but have a love for the truth. For certainly God in his great abounding personality is abiding in perfect truth. And if we are going to be happy in his presence, it stands to reason that we also must come to love the truth. In 1 Timothy 2 and verses 3 to 6, we have the purpose of God revealing his truth, that it is that all might be saved. What a wonderful invitation. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, 
between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So the basis of all our possibility of being reconciled to God is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the will of God that all should be saved. And the manner of salvation is here set forth again to come to the knowledge of the truth or to repent of all falsehood. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verses 14 and 15, we have the concept set forth that the true church of Christ is the pillar and ground of the truth. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So God has great respect to the assembly of his own faithful, reconciled Christians, and how he respects them and calls their place of abode the house of God, and their very existence and assembly is the true embodiment or the pillar and ground of the truth. What a challenge to all Christians that they are the pillar and ground of the truth, and certainly they ought to walk in such a sphere of truth. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we have that great passage which describes the Word of God as the incorporation of God's truth, which we are to study earnestly and be brought into the proper understanding of its essential revelations. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here we see that all Christians are supposed to be workmen. They are not supposed to be ashamed of their blessed Lord. They are supposed to apply themselves diligently in mind and understanding to understand the main elements of God's truth, and they are to rightly divide its essential revelations. If all of God's true Christian children did this, would there not be a great movement in the world? In James chapter 1 and verse 18 we read that the revealed word of God, which has been incorporated in the Bible, is the instrument of the new spiritual birth that Jesus spoke of. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the word of truth, the Bible, the incorporation of God's truth, is a vehicle or a instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit in our inner transformation. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23. Here we see that Peter likewise affirmed that the revealed and recorded truth of God was the instrument in the inner transformation of the soul. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Here we see there is such a glorious experience that is called the new birth, and it's arrived at by obeying the truth through the Spirit. 
and the foundation of all our obedience and revelation and repentance and faith is the Word of God, the incorporation of God's truth. In 1 John chapter 3 and verses 19 to 21, we read that the revealed truth of God is also the means of the new life of the true Christian. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So God's true child must walk in the realm of truth if he is to have that inner happy relationship to God. And how wonderful to have forsaken and repented of sin, to have been forgiven and restored into the great and glorious presence of God. How we pray that many may so be moved by God's wonderful truth. Our Heavenly Father, we praise and thank thy blessed name that thou hast revealed to us thy great being, and that thou hast given us thy blessed word, and that thou hast invited all to repent of all sin, exercise faith in the death of the Lord Jesus for their very sins, thereby be forgiven and reconciled to thee. How we pray that many may respond to thy truth. In Jesus' name, amen.